Welcome to New York Comic Con 2017. My name is Rachel Davis. I am with Hope Nicholson. Hi, Hope. How are you doing? Good. Good enough. Yeah. So I was mentioning all the caps that you carry. Maybe we can count them off real quick. You are the publisher of Bedside comics. You are also a freelance editor for such um, comics as The Secret Loves of Geek Girls and The Redux, which recently came out from Dark Horse. You're a comics historian. You run the Prairie Comics Festival, and you're a Kickstarter thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, wow, that is quite the resume. You are quite the comics person, so let's dig into as many of those topics as we can, starting with your Kickstarter work. What, how do you run a successful Kickstarter campaign? Because you've recently just You've done several successful Kickstarters, but most recently, Gothic Tales of Haunted Romance, yes? Haunted Love, Haunted Love excuse me. So how, what have you learned from kickstarting your own comics? What are the rewards and challenges of that? I mean, it's a great opportunity because a lot of times the books can't get out there unless you have uh, enough people. And it's a huge financial risk if you decide to just try to self-publish a book or to publish a book in general and you don't know how well it'll sell. So Kickstarter is like the ideal test market. You could put it on there, and then if people really like the idea, great, you get it made, and there's no financial risk. And then if people don't like it, you don't lose anything just by trying it out. And that's what's really great. And if you don't get your money, then you can move on to the next project. So Kickstarter is an ideal testing ground for new projects, and you see a lot of innovation and a lot of comics that mainstream publishers just wouldn't touch normally. Do you have any tips to running a successful Kickstarter? Definitely put in as much work as possible into asking questions of other people. And a lot of that includes things like budgets. So get multiple quotes from printers, get multiple quotes for shipping. Uh, make sure you visualize everything in advance. There's no, there's no way to over-prepare for a Kickstarter unless you're delaying it by years and years. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of the work has to be done in advance before you even start it. And make sure that you have people to reach out to. A lot of people think that people just wander past Kickstarter like it's a shop and they throw money at projects. But in actuality, it's all you. You have to do the pushing and you have to reach out to people. So unless you don't, if you don't have a dedicated fan base, it can be really, really hard to get a Kickstarter to work. So sometimes in those cases, you should actually try to borrow other people's fan bases get them involved, get them involved as artists or writers or collaborators, and that's how you can help make a project succeed. And with Bedside, a lot of your catalog are comics that represent so much diversity in terms of racial diversity, gender diversity, sexuality, religion. Why is it so important for you to have such wide representation? I think it's really important for us all not to just see ourselves on the page, but also to see other people that we don't normally encounter in daily life. So I think for a lot of people, especially if they grow up in things like small towns or small communities or suburbs, they're really limited by the people they encounter. Meanwhile, people who are uh, lucky enough to live in urban centers obviously get a much wider breadth of who like the entire world is. And so having books that are able to reach out to perspectives that aren't usually uh, available in publishing means that everyone can get the sense of what it's like to live in a larger community and meet people from everywhere. Absolutely. Um, so can we talk about WOW Comics number one? For our viewers, can you explain what that is and why you felt that should have been reprinted? Sure. So I do a lot of work with 1940s Canadian comic books. In the reason why is that during this time period, American comics were actually banned from entering Canada 
uh, during World War II. And so we had to create our own industry up in Canada. And this was really short-lived. And basically, once the uh, protection measures dissolved after the war, American comics came flooding back and our publishing industry kind of crashed again. So that's unfortunate, but you get a lot of really weird, rare gems, and no one had done any work in reprinting them until I came along about four or five years ago and started working to reprint and restore and get knowledge of these comics out there again. So WoW Comics Number 1 is actually the first color comic ever published in Canada, and shortly after its appearance, um, color comics went to just black and whites instead because they were a lot cheaper to produce and because the kids didn't care as long as they could read something. So, full disclosure, I do not know much about the Canadian comics industry, and I feel like as in most Americans, I'm probably not in the minority. Could you tell us a bit about what the comics, um, Canadian comics industry was like? How did it differ from American comics industry, and how so today? Uh, it's differed a lot because um, in terms of comics specifically, it's been mostly overran by American comics, and that's mostly because the distribution system in America is set up that you guys have a lot of people spread out across the country. But in Canada, we have a few people spread out very far and few between. So distribution is really hard in Canada, physical distribution, shipping, things like that. While in America, it's a lot easier. So to expand into Canada, it's just like an added extra step. But for Canadians, it's a struggle just to reach our own population. So it's always been, a big struggle there. The 1940s measures really helped out. There's a resurgence in the 1970s when people got really excited about Canadian um, national products again. And so we had a resurgence then with characters like Captain Canuck was probably the biggest one, and uh, Northgard, and then um, John Byrne, who was Canadian, went to Marvel and created the Canadian team Alpha Flight as well, ripping off a lot of the 1940s Canadian comics and actually Captain Canuck himself too. Um, and then, yeah, we had a big place in uh, the independent scene in the 1980s. We had a little bit of an underground boom too in the 70s, so kind of like mirror versions of what was happening in America. And I think today we're really defined mostly by our really successful webcomic cartoonists, so people like Ryan North with Dinosaur Comics, or Kate Beaton with Harka Vagrant, or even Jeff Jacks, who lives here now uh, with questionable content, are all Canadians. Well, Jeff's kind of like a new Canadian because he's American who lives in Canada, so maybe he doesn't count. Um, and we do a lot of independent work that's really good, like Drawn in Quarterly is uh, the, probably the country's biggest comic book publisher, and they focus on independent comics that also reach out to audiences not traditionally served by the mainstream mass market of comics. Is there any difference in the content that you find between Canadian comics historically and even now and American comics? Yeah, I think for sure what we don't do really well in Canada because the, the spread out population base is we don't do strict genre really well. So that means things like uh, superhero comics, western comics, war comics, things like that that are really specific and like very action focused just don't seem to reach the right audience in Canada and they just don't seem to be of interest. But meanwhile, like graphic novels, more serious books, uh, history oriented books and like personal memoirs are really popular in the Canadian publishing scene for comics. Um, do you notice the difference between the comic fans in Canada and America? Briefly before we were talking about the difference between conventions such as New York Comic Con and most others. Yeah, I think uh, what's really neat about Canada is probably we do have the convention scene but it's not necessarily dominated by pop culture as much, um, but it's not necessarily dominated by comics either. So unfortunately, it tends to be mostly kind of like autograph and meet and greets with like, you know, older celebrities uh, mixed with like a little bit of an artist alley that people usually have to, to pay to attend. 
So it's, it's okay, but what's really cool about Canada are the independent comic arts festivals. So Toronto Comic Arts Festival being the biggest of the batch and being a really cool festival where it's free to attend. So everyone actually takes all their money and they spend it all on comic books. And it's just comic books, no merchandise, no, uh, no big publishers. Um, they really support Canadian publishers like myself with Bedside Press, Annie Koyoma's Koyoma Press, and Drawn and Quarterly, among others. That's wonderful. Now, let's talk geek girls. How would you define a geek girl? I think a geek girl is just anyone who's really uh, obsessed with a certain fandom. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people branch it off into technology, and I think that's, that's relevant as well. But I mostly fa focus on like fandom geeks and trying to bring them together. Um, the Secret Loves of Geek Girls was a book I published last year, and it started off through a Kickstarter through my own small press. And it got big enough that luckily I was able to work with Dark Horse to bring it to a much larger book market. And it's been super successful and really exciting, and all they are are short little stories about love, dating, and sex by women who identify as geeks. And so it's been something really fun to do. And uh, earlier this year, Kickstarter asked me if I wanted to do a sequel and do it on Kickstarter and make it kind of something that was... Uh, low pressure and low budget and just uh, something that could be quick and easy to get out there. And so I thought, well, that would be great. I would love to do a sequel that focuses on the writers and artists involved in the first volume telling new stories, but limiting it even further from five pages down to one to three pages. And then uh, Dark Horse is actually publishing an all-gender sequel with all new creators for the most part, and that's coming out in February 2018. So that's called The Secret Loves of Geeks. So now that we have these um, different genders, like all different types of gender representation, not just male and female, I imagine, right, for Secret Loves of Geeks, um, what does that bring to the table? What kind of voices or stories can we expect to see from that? Well, that was something that was really important to me, because in the Secret Loves of Geek Girls, I think it was really important to emphasize women's place in the comic industry, but by that very definition of, of feminism and the role of gender, it also limits anyone who doesn't believe in the gender spectrum or who doesn't identify in the gender spectrum. So it excludes a lot of people who identify as non-binary in a lot of ways, and that's, and that's unfortunate, and that sucks. And so I want to do a book where everyone felt included, uh, included with that, so we do have non-binary creators involved in the second volume, and in addition, there are also male creators. And uh, the biggest reason why I let men in the second volume is the fact that a lot of men are really discouraged from discussing vulnerability and emotions, except for if it's among women. And that can be a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on both parties, too. And so having these stories that hopefully uh, people can relate to from people of their own gender or from other genders is something that I think will make the second volume really unique and help to bind people together even more. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that. Do you have any other upcoming projects you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I think uh, Gothic Tales of Haunted Love is probably the next one that you mentioned. And so that was just recently funded on Kickstarter. And it's uh, an homage to the 1970s gothic romance genre that was really short-lived but very popular in American comics. But because those are also limited and kind of constrained, usually just featuring like white women running away from scary rich men, um, we really want to make it uh, a lot more diverse. And so not only is it focused on different sexualities and different genders, but it also has a much, much more global spin uh, than previous gothic romance have had with me hiring artists and writers from all over the world. Oh, I can't wait for that. Thank you so much for your time, Hope. Yeah, thanks for having me. For more interviews, as well as reviews, analyses, and more, make sure to check out comicsverse.com. My name is Rachel Davis, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>